CloudPod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 61, recorded on February 26, 2020. Silence of the Clouds at RSA. Hey, good evening, Jonathan and Peter. Hey, Justin. Hey. How is it going this week? That good. That's what we did here. You never know. I don't want to step on Jonathan. I'm doing great. <laughs> please. I made it. Please step on I me. Made it step until, on me. I made it until Wednesday, which is today, uh, before I had to have coffee after lunch. Pretty good week. Oh, that's not too bad. Yeah. I did have coffee this evening to make it to the podcast recording. So there you go. <laughs> Well, uh, we we did drop our second episode of uh, TCP Talks this week uh, with Rob Martin, uh, who talked all about FinOps and the FinOps Foundation, which is a really great uh, episode. Uh, I learned a couple things. I did join the FinOps Foundation, and uh, our listeners, I'm sure, will pick up something awesome from this talk as well. So definitely listen to that uh, in the normal show feed uh, this week. So check that out if you're out there in listener land. You guys are just totally leaving me hanging here. It's fine. I thought maybe you would want to chime in, or I don't know. Um, this is the problem with not having visual cues when we were doing this recording. Well, maybe we can move to Skype and then do video, but that requires pants. Yeah, this is way better, but it is it is a weakness. Yeah. It is a weakness, and we don't really push right through it. So just assume that someone's going to talk and go for it. All right, well, let's, uh, let's jump to AWS news then. Let's do that. In exciting news, uh, savings plans have been updated to now support your Lambda workloads. Uh, you can save up to 17% on those Lambda workloads by leveraging the AWS savings plan. Uh, the Cost Explorer has been updated to take advantage of the new Lambda usage guidelines and will now make this recommendation as part of your saving plan uh, requirements. Now, a couple of things to be aware of on this one. Uh, there is a discount order in place. Uh, so if you're using EC2, RDS, uh, Lambda, and others, the plans are applied in the order of the highest to lowest discount percentage, meaning Lambda is probably the last one you're going to get so if you uh if you had maybe a bunch of on-demand instances there in the middle that you didn't want to or that you know were kind of fluctuating uh those will probably get your discount that you meant to give to lambda so just be aware of that but it should come out in the wash but just be aware that it won't apply the way you think it should uh and then applicability the discount applies uh, to the duration both on-demand and provision concurrency and provision concurrency charges it does not apply to the lambda request itself which you still pay for wouldn't you want the discount order to be that way around so you get the biggest discount on the most stuff. Otherwise, that would kind of suck. If you're you remember in the savings plan, you're not paying you're not paying for a specific unit. You're paying you know dollar per hour of spend. And so if you you know want get the best discount for your dollar on RDS instances or EC2 instances, that's where you want your discount to be applied for. For sure. Assume, yeah. Otherwise, it would suck. Great. Like I said, Lambda bill will go down from you know, three dollars a month to uh, two two dollars and fifty cents. Hey, hey, every little bit helps. Yeah. <laughs> That's, of course, assuming that you have 100% coverage on everything else that you are doing in savings plan. So just, uh, just, uh, just, just think about the last, time, the last time you remember your Oracle licenses uh, going down by 17%. I'm not Never? sure that's ever happened. Hmm. Weird. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I think I, I think I estimated more than 17% increase, and I, I was off of my calculation, but that's about it. Uh, AWS Identity and Access Management has introduced a new control for requests that AWS services make on your behalf. Uh, this new control allows you to control access for the requests made on your behalf uh, to an Amazon service. For example, uh, using this, you can now grant your IAM principal the ability to launch EC2 instances, but only through AWS CloudFormation uh, without granting direct access to EC2. 
Uh, you can also define new conditional roles as, as part of this as well and say that if you want to do the exact same thing I just said, uh, but you want to limit it from inside your VPC or from a private subnet, uh, you can also impose those rules uh, on the initial uh, request but not on the downstream request for other services. This new condition is called the AWS uh, colon called via and is available to use all services that make requests using your credentials. That's really cool. It's a really good uh, security feature. And finally, we can force developers to use automation to deploy their things instead of the console. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> and force them to use pre force them to use configurations of those services that are approved. It's definitely a way to get you kind of a service catalog capability without the limitations of service exactly. catalogs. That's, that's the great. piece of service catalog I always loved. And it was like a willing to go through the pain of using service catalog just to get that one thing. And now it's like that it that is a tool in our toolkit to do whatever we want with. So it's super cool. Yeah, this actually solves a big problem with um, Passroll. So if you're using something like Jenkins to do your deployment of Terraform or using Terraform Enterprise, you can't use um, a restricted IAM policy because of the fact that the resource doesn't exist to restrict the pass role, right? So the, it's a it's a <laughs> cart before the horse problem, right? So once the resource is created, I have that thing I can now pass to the pass role, uh, but before that I couldn't. And so with this Amazon called via, I can at least add that security into it saying, well, I know this is coming from my Jenkins server or from my TFE server. Um, and so that's okay to have this pass role, but no one else can use that pass role uh, unless they're coming from this particular host, which is a nice additional security feature. So I see that as a great addition, and I'm glad to see this one for sure. Yeah, I feel like the only piece missing now from, I say the only piece, a big piece missing from CloudFormation now is, um, is the ability to enforce rules to say that you can create a policy, but it can't do this. Or you can create a resource, but it must look a bit like this. Because um, now we can stop people from creating things outside of CloudFormation. If we had extra controls in CloudFormation to um, kind of like Sentinel in uh, Terraform, yeah, it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, we should ask for that, about that. I bet that's coming. I feel like that's a feature request that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, I, someone's got to be working on, right? Because you have config rules, you You've got CSPs. You got all this. You got all this stuff that can kind of come in and do like very high level preventions after the fact. After the fact, yeah. but you really want to kind of prevent it from even getting there to begin with. So that makes a lot of sense. And you would want to add something like that in the future. Yeah, reinvent. Uh, maybe or reinforce. Yeah, or reinforce. Or reinforce. Ah, okay. Yeah. Are we going to do predictions for reinforce this year or or no? Uh, we are doing predictions for reinforce this year. We still have some time though. So yeah, I was I was I was hoping to see Amazon do something at RSA this week, uh, but they were silent other than some blog posts. So I guess they're holding it all together for Reinforce. Yeah, I'm surprised, actually, given all the work they've done on encryption um, uh, in Java and stuff like that, that they didn't have something to present. Yeah, overall, uh, we'll get to some Azure and Google announcements on RSA in a little bit, but even their announcements were, were pretty quiet. Uh, you know, so I don't really know. <laughs> they just felt like they didn't want to share security stuff at the RSA conference for some reason. Did you guys head down there at all? No, I, no, no, I did not. <laughs> Did you? I, you know what? I totally meant to, but I had to be uh, on site at a customer several days this week, so I missed my chance. I had enough meetings with security on my own at the, at the day job to not need to go to a conference with a lot more security people. <laughs> Amazon ECS uh, now supports Amazon Secrets Manager versions and JSON keys. Uh, this basically allows you to have multiple versions of a secret uh, and actually now reference that through the ARN. Uh, this gives you more granular control to reference sensitive information such as database credentials, tokens, or config variables for your application on ECS. Previously, you could only load the latest version of a secret and not read uh, from the JSON directly. So this is a pretty nice enhancement if you're trying to put more data into those keys. The, the version thing, I could take or leave, I guess, but the, the ability to pull specific attributes out of a JSON 
payload that's in Secrets Manager is really important because now you don't need to have 10 different secrets. You can have one, one secret containing all the information and then just pull out the pieces you need. So it's a, it's a money saver and it's much more convenient. What do you guys think about a lot of these iterative um, sort of least privilege uh, security features? Potentially, were they, are they in the backlog from the last breach, the last big breach from uh... the, Capital, the Capital One breach? I mean, it's it's a possibility that these are small enhancements they're doing for those things, but you know, I don't remember Secrets Manager being or ECS being part of the the breach, so I don't know. Sort of tightening down IAM the ability to do least privilege on IAM roles. Yeah, I mean that's a possibility. You had those calls from senators that were you know claiming that Amazon was not doing enough to protect their customers, and so these little tweaks enhancements are things that I think have been wanted for a long time that they're now kind of applying uh, as they can. So that's it's possible it's related. I just don't know. Amazon FSx for Luster has been updated to support persistent storage for long-term and high-performance workloads. Uh, this, these are a couple other updates also mixed into this as well, and a, a reminder as well about some Luster features we didn't really talk about on the show, so we'll just mention them briefly here. Uh, so the first one is that if you need to create a high-performance file system, uh, you can now do so with three performance tiers and a second-gen uh, scratch file system that is designed to support spiky workloads better. Uh, before, if you're using Luster, it was all about short-term storage and you would have data loss potentially. Uh, as there was no replication or uh, no replacement of file servers if they had failed. Uh, in addition to this new Scratch server, uh, Scratch file system server, and the new persistent data, uh, they also mentioned their updates to the data repository APIs, SageMaker integration, parallel cluster integration, EKS, smaller file system sizes, CloudFormation support, SOC compliance, Amazon Linux 1 and 2 support, and client repository support uh, for all those things. Uh, so this is a nice improvement if you are using the Luster file system, which I'm not, but I'm sure people out there are and will love it. I love how they've hidden SageMaker integration in there like it wasn't the, the absolute driving factor for all the changes they're making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, it's nice that we can deploy small, smaller file systems now because I, I don't remember what the number was before, but it was pretty huge. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is all about SageMaker. Oh, for sure. And, and making SageMaker more attractive to customers. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm concerned about the, the three different performance tiers, though. It's starting to sound a bit more like uh, Amazon premium FSX storage. <laughs> Ultra premium blob storage, Jonathan. <laughs> Luster originally got higher performance by not spending time and energy and latency ensuring that data was replicated and could be persisted. So adding that as a feature and expecting that no drop off in performance, I'd be interested to, uh, I'm always curious and uh, skeptical about that. Like we're making it persistent and, and high performance. Hey everyone, Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the CloudPod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, you know, at reInvent, they announced, or maybe it was last year reInvent, actually, uh, they announced the ability to have custom uh, Lambda runtimes 
Uh, and so Amazon has written a great blog post here where they're actually announcing uh, support for Dart runtime. Uh, Dart is a fast-growing open-source programming language that powers rapidly growing open-source uh, tools and solutions such as Flutter. Uh, but they also use this opportunity to have this blog post talk about the advantages of Dart and Flutter, but also how they built this on top of their custom Lambda runtime capability. And so uh, if you're looking at trying to port something like COBOL to Lambda for some crazy reason, uh, this might be interesting to you as this will give you some guidelines of how to do such a thing. Uh, but it's also just a nice uh, overall story about how to take advantage of Lambda in a much more powerful way. Uh, than just the pre-built packaged uh, languages. So uh, Dart and Flutter is interesting enough, is made by Google. And I did check to see if Google Functions supports Dart or Flutter, and it did not. So Ooh, there you go. Uh, that is funny. <laughs> check. <laughs> I've actually looked at the language of Dart, though. It looks, it just looks like C++. Yeah, I uh, I hadn't heard of it, and so I did some research, and I realized, oh, this is another one of those languages that's being written to help unify the mobile web, mobile native, and uh, web app design language so you have one language for all three of those and so once you make that compromise you end up with all kinds of weird trade-offs so it's, it's sort of interesting yeah. but uh, flutter is actually a big mobile back-end as a service kind of solution as well that integrates a bunch of google's authorization services together so yeah. interesting if you're doing mobile apps not so interesting if you're doing anything else yeah i mean I, just think how much easier it's going to be to, to be a full stack developer if you can use the same language everywhere. I mean, unfortunately, it's not any of the languages that you currently use, so you still have to learn something new, but at least then you can use it everywhere. According to the GitHub Octoverse report, it is the fastest-growing language between 2018 and 2019. Uh, considering I've never heard of it until this article, that almost seems funny. I'm just constantly amazed at the, the open-source community's uh, ability to always come up with interesting new names for all of their projects. It is it is impressive uh, talent. I wish I had that skill set for naming the show titles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, moving on to our friends at Azure. Uh, Azure Security Center for IoT had several RSA 2020 announcements. Of course, the general availability of this product happened last July, uh, and they've announced several improvements at RSA this week, including new support for Azure Real-Time Operating Systems, or RTOS, and libraries for embedded real-time IoT applications on MCU devices. Uh, Azure RTOS will ship with a built-in security module that will cover common threats on RTOS devices, and they've announced the availability of an Azure Sentinel connector that provides onboarding for IoT data workloads into the Sentinel for Azure IoT hub managed deployments. Uh, they also announced several partnerships with this capability, including uh, Smart Homes, uh, TiVo, CyberMDX, CyberX, and FireDome, and many, many more. So, uh, this is also available in all government regions as well. So if the government's using IoT, uh, this is now available for them. Yeah, it seems like a, just one of the biggest possible attack vectors you could create in our industry would be um, put a bunch of devices in the, a massive amount of devices spread all over the place with no physical control where people have access to those and uh, expect the system to stay secure. So it's good. it's good to see a lot of time and energy going into IoT security. I mean, or you you become a very large uh, Chinese network manufacturer and get all of that equipment into your mobile networks. There's two there's two ways to do it. I mean, you choose the way that makes the most sense for you. Yeah. I was chatting to my neighbor uh, over the weekend, and and he uh, apparently he was at a very uh, a very nerdy pub quiz because the one of the questions was around the number of um, internet connected devices per person. And I think it, 20 years ago, it was uh, one, you know, a half a device per, per, per person globally. And now it's something like six and a half devices per person. Awesome. Wow. I mean, it's a huge increase. That's a lot of Philips light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it yeah, is. Yeah, really. <laughs> wait until they, wait until you get 
technology they're implanting in your body and they'll get even worse. In the longest preview ever, Azure Sphere, which went in preview in April 2018, is now generally available. Uh, Azure Sphere is a high-level software-as-a-service platform with built-in communication features for cross-industry IoT devices. It compromises integrated hardware built around a secured silicone chip and the Azure Sphere OS, custom Linux-based OS, uh, the Azure Sphere security service, and a cloud service that provides continuous security to these devices. Uh, there is no ongoing fee for using Azure Sphere, but it does have a one-time cost for the chip that includes access to all of the Sphere's components plus OS updates for the lifetime of the chip. And then developers can license Visual Studio and Azure IoT services to develop apps for the Sphere. Uh, and then as well as you can now run these uh, into backend services running on top of Google or Azure or AWS or your private cloud. So lots of really great uh, opportunities for use here. They did have a couple of customers who were involved in the early access. Uh, Microsoft's data center team, for example, uh, uses the Guardian module to connect equipment and systems for the first time and build new systems in all their data centers, which are pretty cool. Uh, Starbucks is apparently using the Guardian chips across all of its existing equipment, so think coffee makers and tracking use and, and maintenance requests. And then Vitamix, a no strange one, uh, incorporated Sphere into its IoT module, a retrofitted device that allows users to remotely program Vitamix blenders, uh, which I guess is for <laughs> custom blend profiles. I'm not really sure on that one. That's quite a tax on the device. $8.65 per chip. In the Raspberry Pi world, that's a lot of money. I don't know in the enterprise IoT connected space how much money that actually is. Even that uh, high cost blender at a few hundred bucks, yeah, eight bucks is really eating into the margin. If it's you know a couple hundred bucks at retail, which means it's hundred bucks out the door, eight bucks, eight percent, be huge. I don't know how many of these are going to sell. I don't know what their use case is. I don't know if blenders is really their the proper use case, but the, it's definitely an interesting use case that they chose uh, for their test. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what people do with this in the future and something to keep an eye on um, as it's now generally available and available to you uh, to go try out. Google has added quite a bit of capabilities to their contact center AI. Uh, this is with the new dialog flow mega agent, which is missing a space, I'm telling you. It's just a terrible name. Increases intents uh, by 10 times to over 20,000 different intents uh, for your dialog flow. Uh, so if you think about uh, building chatbots or interactive voice response systems, um, or as we like to call them, those darn phone trees, uh, and is used to power uh, contact centers all around the world with natural and rich conversational experiences. Uh, to help improve customer interactions, uh, Google has announced that, this update. In addition to the new intents, they have updated the mega agent, agent validation, version, and environmental support, and a webhook management API. And there is a quote here from KLM Dutch Airlines, uh, Juist Oremus. At KLM, we are building multiple chatbot services using Dialogflow. As travel is a complex product, making sure that our customers are guided toward the right agent, both human agent and multiple automated agents, can be challenging. Our first trial experience with Mega Agent shows promising results in solving this challenge for us. So definitely some interesting use cases that may come into play. And this is definitely what's powering a lot of the uh, technology that Google demoed last year, uh, where the, you know calling a restaurant and making you a reservation that doesn't have something like OpenTable in place. Have you used that yet? I, I used that recently. It's kind of kind of funny. <laughs> Uh, no, I have not used it. I used it for the Italian place in town here. They'd never had a phone call from the Google bot before. And so when we walked in mm. and I announced who I was, they're like, wow, how did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> we were famous. And the food was pretty good. Most large organizations run six or even more monitoring tools. Each of them uses a mixture of data collection techniques from technology providers, open source communities, or custom integrations and maintaining dozens of integrations across these tools can be a significant investment. Blue Medora introduces BindPlane, 
not another monitoring platform, but the industry's first monitoring integration as a service. Bindplane can gather data from over 150 technology data sources spanning your entire organization. Remove or reduce your reliance on expensive monitoring and SIM solutions by sending log data to Google Stackdriver, New Relic or Azure Monitor. Check out the extensive list of integrations all provided at no additional cost. Learn more and sign up for a free trial by visiting bluemedora.com slash cloudpod. The link's available in our show notes and as a bonus for CloudPod listeners, Blue Medora are offering Google Compute Platform credits to help get you started. Buy and plane. Seamlessly stream hybrid cloud and on-premise metric and log data. New application manager is now bringing GitOps to Google Kubernetes Engine. Uh, Google is simplifying the management of application life cycles and configurations with the launch of Application Manager. Uh, available in beta, it easily allows developers to create a dev to production app delivery flow while incorporating Google's best practices for managing release configurations. App Manager lets you get your apps running in GKA efficiently, securely, and in line with company policy so you can su- get success with your app modernization goals. Uh, this runs in your Kubernetes cluster and handles pulling Kubernetes manifests from the Git repo and deploying the manifest as an app in the cluster. So this is kind of like a little bit of a, pla- a platform as a service layer um, on top of Kubernetes, how I basically read this. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I was just going to say, it, it reminds me of the one piece that people miss most when they move. We've moved a lot of people from like uh, Heroku to EKS or GKE, and they, they think there's no big deal. You know, our app runs in a container, it should be no problem. And then they lose some of their deployment tools and they're bummed. And so uh, it, this is ripe. These type of tools are, are perfect. Yeah, it's interesting because... Uh... I kind of felt like Knative was there was going to be the pass play for Kubernetes, but this is a much more robust solution than even Knative can provide. So good to see. Uh, it's interesting that this is a GKE add-on. This is not being released to the larger Kubernetes uh, world yet. And I'm curious to see if this continues to be a GKE-only feature or if this is something that they make more open source and more available to services like EKS or AKS. Microsoft AD, of course, is a pretty critical piece of any Windows infrastructure. And Google has now made their managed service for Microsoft AD generally available. Uh, The service has many benefits to your workloads, including the compatibility with AD-dependent apps, virtually maintenance-free, seamless multi-region deployment. Hey, Amazon, let's get that. And then uh, hybrid identity support. Uh, And there's a quote here from Aaron Finney, infrastructure architect at OpenX. Google Cloud's managed AD service is exactly what we were hoping it would be. It gives us the flexibility to manage our Active Directory without the burden of having to manage the infrastructure. By using the service, we are able to solve our for efficiency, reduce costs, and enable our highly skilled engineers to focus on strategic business objectives instead of tactical systems administration tasks. Awesome. I mean, this is the whole purpose of, of uh, cloud native services. I think both the Google offering and the AWS offering are far superior to the Azure AD offerings <laughs> that they have, which makes no sense considering kind of who's making what. Yeah. It's funny you pointed out the seamless multi-region deployment. Do you have some uh, experiences around that? It's really not part of the design for the managed AD of uh, AWS. And so if you want multi-region, you actually end up with multiple AD forests, Uh, which I don't think is an ideal scenario in most use cases. I wonder if that has to do with just the the fact that, you know, when Google's network uh, features in their cloud are... You know, you're, it's just so easy to build a global network between projects and um, and regions. I wonder if it's just that much easier for them based on that architecture for their network. Well, it's also the philosophy, Amazon's philosophy about uh, regional isolation. But but for something as important as identity, um, 
you would think that they would realize that it has to be a, a single place, which is the go-to place for identity. And and to be fair, IAM is run almost exclusively from US East 1. Uh, that's very true. So, so you know, on, on, at some level, they, they know. <laughs> but, they're, yeah. they're, but they're not offering that as, a, as an option. Yeah, I mean, the, the use case, I just double-checked to make sure they hadn't snuck a feature in on us. Uh, but yeah, the the guidelines built still say you know create and manage AD in each region on AWS and then put a trust between them, which I think is just a it, it works. It it makes it's a job done. It's just not what I think is the right way to do it. Google acquires mainframe application specialist Cornerstone. Uh, for those customers who are still stuck on legacy mainframe applications, uh, this uh, acquisition may help you get those systems to the cloud. Uh, Cornerstone has a software toolkit called G4 that can take the legacy workload and using rules defined manually by engineers adapted to run in a new environment or emulate it in uh, a non-mainframe environment. The addition of these tools should enable Google to compete better for those mainframe workloads uh, now and in the future. Yeah, you know, these emulators have been around for a long time. And from my understanding, they were all uh, simply the license agreement on the emulators that you can't use it to run production workloads, which stopped people from... Um, simply migrating their mainframe app, apps, you know, even if they didn't need that type of horsepower. Uh, so I'm curious to see how they're going to get around those issues. Yeah, I don't know. There's a quote here from uh, Howard Wheel, director of Google Cloud's transformation practice. Uh, Through the use of automated processes, Cornerstone's tools can break down your COBOL, PL slash one, or assembler programs into services and then make them cloud native, such as within a managed containerized environment. Yeah, so they don't really explain how that's going to work either, but I assume there must be some way they do it with this type of technology. Maybe they're rewriting. Yeah, really interesting. The problem with mainframe, and the reason why mainframe is still with us today, is that some of the workloads that they do to scale on x86 hardware is just unrealistic. So I, I also know that moving it to a container is the right answer to solving this problem. Yeah, it looks to me like they're rewriting the application from COBOL to either Java Monolith or Java Microservices. So, I mean, you could do that before cloud. You just right. no did it because you couldn't get the scale. Yep. Uh, well, and then uh, for our final uh, RSA story from Google here, they're introducing several new security capabilities, including threat detection and timeline capabilities in Chronicle, threat rep- response integration between Chronicle and PAN's uh, Palo Alto's Cortex-XOR and online fraud prevention services. Of course, Google Chronicle launched in 2019 to help change the way businesses quickly, quickly, efficiently, and affordably investigate alerts and threats in their organizations or do threat hunting. At RSA, Google has demonstrated how you could detect threats such as uh, Yara-L, a new rules language built specifically for modern threats and behaviors, including types described in the MITRE attack. And uh, this is also a new uh, Google general availability of reCAPTCHA Enterprise and the WebRisk API we talked about here previously on the show, which allows you to validate any URL entered into your systems against Google's uh, list of unsafe URL resources. Uh, these were all generally available and released here at RSA this week. All right. Well, that's it for the new news this week. Uh, Peter, do you want to take us to the next lightning round? All right. Let's hit the lightning round. Headlines or punchlines, you decide. Azure now supports Azure Database for Postgres Hyperscale, but I'm going to recommend that you wait until Azure Database for Premium Ultra Postgres Hyperscale is available. Smart move. That's good advice. Amazon EC2 auto-scaling now supports enabling and disabling scaling policies. Now, if we could only disable the Trump policies. <laughs> Does that go against our rule of no politics? Uh, we had a we had an orange one earlier. We, we did. Yeah. So. He's not really political. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> For the 12 users out there that use AWS CodeCommit, 
you can now receive notifications about pull request approval. For those of you who upvoted this feature on the public roadmap GitHub, I'm not really sure where that notification will show up. I will check your Kinesis fire hose, though. And for those who still like to burn money even when using Lambda, AWS has announced support for Ruby 2.7, so you can keep running those high-memory Lambdas with the latest code. You guys keep hanging on Ruby, but there's a reason they're releasing it. People want it. Amazon RDS on VMware uh, can now report disconnected status. I can just hear my RDS instance telling me. Wanted to let you know your hybrid cloud just created a production outage. Stop it. Amazon Managed Cassandra service now enables you to optimize the price of throughput for predictable workloads. Or so they say. I'm not sure I buy it myself, but hopefully I'll eventually consistently know. Well, the cognitive services Bing speech API is being retired in November. Or in other words, don't try to Google it after that date. Azure has announced a new fileless attack detection for Linux in preview. Hopefully the file full attacks are still also detectable. Azure has announced the preview of AD authentication support on Azure files. And now I understand why there are so many more fileless attacks on Linux. Uh-huh. <laughs> set me up. You set me up. I don't like that. <laughs> set me up. And finally, AWS chatbot now supports Amazon CloudWatch metrics and logs, providing one more way for me to tell someone to f*** off when notifying me of alerts. I thought that was just what you did to me when I called you about alerts. <laughs> I didn't know it went all directions. It's good to know. Maybe not the alerts, but if you ask me to do PowerShell again, we're, we're going to come to blows. <laughs> yeah, I, I try not to put that on people that often, so we'll, we'll try to avoid it. This is three weeks of the new format. Um, you know, the feedback's been pretty strong, but I, I think we're, we're better at the other way. I don't know what you guys think. I'm just not good at writing jokes, is what I think. Yeah, I mean, really, if I was good at writing jokes, I'd be a comedian and I wouldn't be in IT. So Even comedians aren't good at writing jokes. That's, that's, the, that's the thing. All right. Well, I, I, think we, I think we'll go back to the old way next week. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> I think yes, it'll be easier for all of us. We will stay, uh, we will stay uh, agile here, willing to yeah. experiment, fail quickly, and try again. And you know, maybe, maybe occasionally we'll, we'll bring this format back just for the fun of it. We, we're feeling like a rainy day. It's like it's like a McRib sandwich. Now we've now we've had this this three weeks experience of how good jokes can be when uh, when prepared in advance. Maybe it'll help improve the original lightning round. Maybe Ooh. maybe we'll we'll see. Maybe this is a secret improvement that we've just done through experimentation. It, you know, it's A/B tested. That's all I know. Awesome. Well, good. It is another exciting week. Uh, next week, uh, I have some stuff going on. My team is actually presenting at Elasticon here in San Francisco. Uh, so if you were there on Wednesday, you can check out my team's talk on observability platforms uh, that we built at my day job at LMA. Sweet. So do check that out if you're going to Elasticon. Uh, I will have a bunch of engineers there. I will not be there. Uh, but a bunch of my engineers will be there, and I will send some of them with stickers. So if you are going to be at Elasticon, and John, think gets this out before the show... Uh, I will uh, have those available for you to grab uh, with someone on Twitter. So, Perfect. Uh, how about you guys? Anything exciting going on for the two of you? Well, I would love to be at that event. However, I will instead be suffering on a beach in Tulum, Mexico for a wedding. That's right. That's right. And so that means also that our guest host is coming back next week, Ryan. And so the last moment to get those stickers uh, by following Ryan and DMing me are soon coming to a close. So just keep that how's, in mind. How's he doing so far? How many... How many uh... Uh, you know, it's interesting because uh, I'm pretty sure that he has more followers uh, than I have for sticker requests. So either people just really wanted to follow Ryan, which I'm okay with, 
and they didn't request a sticker or they forgot to request a sticker. So he is up to 23 followers today, uh, which wow. is, up, I think, I, I think almost 10 from when he was on last time. So, you know, we do appreciate the listeners who uh, are following him out there in the world. I, I lost a follower this Excellent. week. I don't know who it is. I haven't paid that much attention, but uh, I, I'm sorry, whatever I did wrong. Well, there's a lot you do wrong, Jonathan, so it's understandable. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to cull. You have to just accept that other people have to cull. I have a reasonable amount of followers, so I'm, I'm happy with that. But I don't, I don't keep track of it like you do, apparently. <laughs> so, yeah. But I will unfollow you tomorrow just to bother you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, Ryan did say that he has a little bit of stage fright uh, on what to, uh, what to say to all these new followers of him on Twitter. So we'll see what his first tweet is. Uh, and not something is. stupid. Tell him, don't say something stupid. Well, I mean, it is Ryan we're talking about, so there's <laughs> all possible. I mean, his first tweet should be, hey, whoever didn't request a sticker, DM me and request a sticker. Yeah, really. That's true. There you go. Yeah, he should definitely do that. Uh, that also reminds me that I need to go send stickers in the mail. I have a pile of them in my office that I need to go put in the mailbox. So if you if you were waiting for a sticker, it's not that I, not that I got lost. I just haven't got to the post office. So sorry. Well, good. That's another fantastic week in the cloud. We will see you guys next. Well, we won't see Peter because he'll be enjoying beach time. Yes. I, I, do, I do really am intrigued by this job that you have. So you're a CTO. You were gone for Japan for two weeks, and now you're going to be in Mexico for a week. It's, it's a rough life. I got hey. to have higher bars to rise to. Hey, you just, it's <laughs> a, you work hard, you eat your vegetables, you get in your exercise, and then suddenly you get to be CTO and go on vacation all the time. Although, to be fair, I hadn't been on a vacation for a year and a half prior to Korea. So, that's not all roses. I mean, if I were to add up the number of times you missed the CloudPod recording, I'm not sure that adds up, but <laughs> I'll go with it. <laughs> Sometimes I have to work. <laughs> no, 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 I know. You're traveling for work, too. That count. I tell my wife, too. She always gives me a bad time. She's like... You know, you were just gone for two weeks in India. I'm like, that wasn't a vacation. That was just work. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyways. All right, guys. Have a great week. We will see you next week. Later. See you. And that is The Week in Cloud. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Blue Medora. Check out our website, the home of the CloudPod, where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, send feedback, or ask questions at thecloudpod.net, or tweet us at hashtag the CloudPod. (laughs) 